0: Hey, it's the Productize podcast. My name is Brian Castle. Thank you for tuning in today. Today, I'm talking to Mike Arneson. He is an expert when it comes to search engine optimization, conversion rate optimization, technical marketing, analytics, and everything in between, because as we all know, all that stuff is so interconnected these days. So Mike runs a company called Upbuild.io. They're kind of a, I guess you could say they're a marketing agency slash productized service. I know that those lines uh, blur a lot quite a bit these days, and and he has a pretty interesting approach that we talked about. I kind of split this conversation into two halves. The first half was talking all about Upbuild and how he's been able to build his remote team, how he gives his marketing strategists the autonomy to figure out their own solutions for their clients, which I think is, is pretty interesting. We talked about how, or I contrasted how that's been working in my productized services where We have a very well-defined process that everybody goes through with the same methodology, same tools, whereas in their service, they kind of tailor their solutions in different ways to different clients, but they do it in a really efficient and lean kind of way. I thought that was a really interesting part of the conversation. And then, of course, we spent a great deal of time just digging into what we need to know about SEO and optimization in general today, here in the middle of 2017 and beyond i I constantly feel like I'm outdated or i'm I'm behind the eight ball when it comes to this stuff. Things are changing so fast every year, and Google is changing the way that they do things and the way that they analyze the web and and what do we need to know about that? We talked about, you know, AMP content and mobile first, optimization. We talked about choosing a platform, you know, WordPress versus Squarespace versus Medium versus building your own. We talked all about should you republish to Medium? Should you use a subdomain versus a main domain? What are the tools and plugins? How do you organize analytics? I mean, there's so so many tactical things that we could dig into here. And I could probably spend hours and hours just picking mike's brain about this stuff forever but you know i tried to get some useful information out of it i hope you'll agree that and hopefully you can put some of this stuff to use or at least get inspired to build a marketing consultancy into an efficient business that's actually you know driving quite a bit of revenue and profit so without further ado here is my wide-ranging conversation with mike arneson enjoy All right. I'm here with Mike Arneson. Mike, how's it going? It's going real well, Brian. How you doing? Good. Yeah. So uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, you are kind of an SEO marketing conversion rate optimization expert, and I'm definitely going to spend some time here kind of picking your brain all about that and, and uh, you know, for my own interests, but also I'm sure for many people listening, they'll, they'll get a lot out of it. But uh, before that, I wanted to ask you about your work and your story. So uh, how do you kind of spend most of your time these days?
1: Yeah, these days I spend my time doing stuff that's, I think if you look at it from an outside perspective, it maybe looks a lot different than what I used to do, which was, you know, I used to be the person in the weeds every day doing seo stuff like optimizing pages optimizing site performance uh you know looking at the external authority opportunities and then you know implementing analytics running conversion tests i don't really do much of that anymore um which i have mixed feelings about like a big part of me is like i wish i could just do that all day and another part is like well i actually really like what i'm doing now but i view what i do today as just another form of optimization which is basically running the this company upbuild that i founded two years ago um So it's kind of funny. I have this kind of theme that I've just carried across into a different kind of discipline where I was optimizing sites before and now I'm optimizing a company. So I spend my days making sure everything stays on track here at Upbuild, that the company is growing, that we're financially healthy, getting new clients, uh, and that we're doing things efficiently. So a lot of that ties back to optimization.
0: Very cool. Yeah. I mean, I certainly find myself uh, in a similar transition I have over these past few years. And, um, you know, going back to when I worked as like a web designer, web developer into building a couple of companies and my current company with, you know, where we're doing content marketing, like I'm not doing most of the content, I'm working with the team and optimizing our systems and marketing and all that. And I know that a lot of people listening are in that really never ending transition of going from technician to becoming a manager and that sort of stuff. So yeah, really cool. And I just, it does kind of make me feel like a total hack sometimes, you know, like I, like I still do the design work on my own sites for my business and products and things. And I just hack it together the way that I did it from like three, four years ago. But if I were to do this kind of design work for clients today, it would be like totally outdated, but whatever. Yeah. Same boat. (laughs) So Upbuild, tell me about that. Like what does your company kind of look like today in terms of team size or how do you think, like, how can you give us some perspective of what it looks like today?
1: Yeah, so Upbuild at the moment is a team of eight people. We have about 15 clients that we work with, and our team is completely distributed. Uh, we have folks in about five states, a couple here in Portland, Oregon, where I'm based, uh, but that's kind of like our home on paper. We just consider ourselves like an entity that exists, like we're an online company, as most companies are, whether or not they acknowledge that. It's like, we have offices in San Francisco and D.C. And it's like, well, everything you do is online. So like, it doesn't really matter where you're located. So, yeah, we are a, we're a team of eight. Uh, and the way that our company is set up is, um, you know, we provide marketing consulting. But what we're really doing, it's a little different than what my background was, which was providing SEO services. I'm making air quotes right now for people who can't see what I'm doing. You know, SEO services, I have this love-hate relationship with because usually when you use that terminology and you start talking to somebody about, you know, giving you quote unquote SEO services, you're talking about like, hey, I want a list of keywords, or like, give me the stuff I need to do to like make me rank number one for this. Um we do that, but I wouldn't necessarily say that we sell that. Really what we're trying to do here is um actually, you know, former bosses who I worked for over the years referred to me as like a one person army like someone like hey we need more mics like I wish we had more mics on our team so they could like do all this stuff because I knew enough about SEO and analytics and conversions to be able to be really effective with you know not a ton of resources all I needed was time to dig into a problem and figure out how to solve it. So when I started Upbuild, I was like, well, I don't want to sell SEO services. I want to sell, like, basically SEO people, one-person armies. So the way that Upbuild is set up is um, we have kind of on the top end, we have myself, which is a glorified uh, wrangler of, uh, of resources and people, and we have a director of strategy who's awesome and helps me ensure that the team is strategically focused and is getting good results for clients. But our core is what we call our senior marketing strategists. And all that means is they are someone who is really, really senior level in SEO analytics or CRO, usually all the above. Sometimes they have like really strong strengths in like two of those three areas and the other one is kind of pretty good. And they serve really as like a, almost a pseudo team member for the clients they work on. And so they have like at least 10 hours a week for any specific clients of so 40 hours a month. Because what I wanted, this is funny, like this, the way that Upbuild is Structured ties back pretty selfishly to what I wanted for myself when I started doing independent consulting on my own, which was I wanted to wake up on Monday and I didn't want to like worry about the 20 reports I needed to get out. I didn't want to like go and spend an hour trying to like work with a little company and like figure out like the bare minimum I could do for them in the time I had and the like bounce back and forth between a million things. I wanted to be able to come to my you know virtual office on Monday and be like, I have three or four clients that I know I need to do something valuable for this week. Let me figure out what that is. And knowing that I'll have the time to figure that out was what I wanted. So now Upbuild, that's that is our service, is giving you that person who's going to be able to bring all these really advanced technical marketing and SEO skills to the table and solve problems with you as part of your team.
0: Yeah, I like the way that you put that. Uh, and again, I totally relate to this as well with my team. It's, it's it's kind of like optimizing your business model, both for your clients, but also for your team and making it a really good working situation for everyone in that sense. And like they can kind of show up and having the, the sales and the administrative stuff kind of handled for them, they could just focus on strategy. And your clients, of course, can just kind of offload a lot of that work and technical work and not develop it in-house and
1: yeah, absolutely. That and that's uh largely how I define what Upbuild is when like I get asked what the company is and like what do we stand for and all that good stuff, but like I will say that Upbuild I, I don't view it as a company, I view it as a framework that the best marketers in the world on the technical side can come into and do awesome work, be supported and do it for clients they're proud to partner with.
0: So it it sounds like you give your strategists a lot of leeway and freedom to do what they do best or what they think is best for each individual client. Am I understanding that correctly? Or do you you have a certain methodology that you apply across all of your clients? How does that break out?
1: So senior marketing strategists do have a lot of autonomy over the decisions they make on behalf of their clients, uh, the strategic decisions they uh, kind of map out and what they want to do long term. They are really self-directed, but they do have, myself and our director of strategy, as like a resource, to be a sounding board, to help them develop those strategies. And they also have um, junior folks on the team who support them. So they're kind of like in this leadership position where like they're responsible for coming up with the strategy, getting the results, but they have all these resources to pull from. And then not only that, I mean, this is kind of, you could call it like, uh, you know, maybe this is our beta version of Upbuild. And what we want to do when we do our public release, so to speak, would be to figure out how we codify Like, what's the upbuild approach to on-site optimization? Because right now we have some pretty good frameworks in place in terms of, like, here's how we generally go through, like, a checklist of assessing the SEO success or failure of a website uh, and go through all these criteria and this rubric, and we'll go through that kind of thing. But, like, bigger picture, how do we all think about this stuff together? And it's been really exciting to see that as we bring more people onto the team, as I mentioned, we're a team of eight now, now we have all these... Varying perspectives where we can kind of figure out where we have overlap in terms of how we think about things the greatest thing that i've seen that i just love is like people who come from completely different types of agencies who like have just done things completely different like i'm an on site guy at heart like i'm really deep into the technical stuff i will not make any illusions otherwise like i've always sucked at link building. So like it really is exciting to me when we have somebody who comes and joins the team and has experience in link building and they can tell me whether or not I'm just like discrediting it because I'm not comfortable with it personally because I'm not good at it. Or if it's like there's legitimacy to what I'm saying here or if like we should add in this aspect that like their last place did. So seeing all that come together is really cool. And the, the next step, as I said, is to kind of consolidate that and make it into more of a model
0: yeah that's that's really interesting because i think in in my case i I started my current thing audience ops with doing content marketing it started out with a very systematic approach and it's still that way and since the very very beginning we have a very standard process that we apply to everyone and i think in some ways it's good because we're able to scale it and put people into the system and have a process and, and keep it predictable but then it definitely in other ways like bringing new people into the team They have to get up to speed on our processes. And I sometimes feel like I'm missing out on some really great strategies that we that just didn't make it as part of the process. So I like how you're kind of evolving into that over time rather than starting. Um, I, I guess my question on that would be, how do you avoid so many different projects being operated in so many different ways with different strategies? If one person does something one way, the next person does it in a different way. Does that add complexity or, or different tools or different processes? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, that's a, a great observation and one that I haven't seen become problematic yet. And it's actually, I think, been more of a strength than a weakness up until now um, in that we all do things differently, but similarly enough where it all kind of makes sense together and not having kind of like a step by step guide allows for that freedom of like you know individual problem solving and coming up with a solution that's like not completely different but different enough to be like oh that's a different way to do it like let me and the next person who takes on that challenge or whatever that is like whether it's an analytics implementation or like trying to figure out the best way to implement you know Uh, Unique page titles and meta descriptions across a site with a million pages like there may be some person has an approach for that and They want to use like an excel uh, Macro for that and some person would be like well Why don't we just build this like in PHP and like let's have a script that does this and then we kind of take the best from both worlds So it's kind of like just a constant cycle of iteration and improvement just kind of evaluating. Okay, what worked here? What didn't what can we leave behind and what do we want to keep on what do we want to hold on to and then keep working to improve Uh, And just kind of leaving what doesn't work behind and then continuing along with everything that does work.
0: Yeah, I really like that. So, I guess getting more specific, like what do your typical projects, typical engagements look like in terms of types of clients you work with, industries, the types of services or packages that you're putting together for them? Like, how does that kind of break out?
1: So, you know, I can't outright say that like there's no common footprint between like the different engagements because there absolutely is. There's like a more or less logical process to, like, take, you know, you go from SEO, like, you want to do an SEO audit, and then you're probably going to want to assess your keywords and make sure you're using, uh, you're making intelligent choices, and then you have things optimized on your site to support those keywords, and then you might move into, like, you know, understanding the value of the traffic that you're now attracting to the site through increased organic presence. You're going to want, like, an analytic strategy in place. So we kind of have these general life cycles that we'll look at and be like, hey, this is what makes sense for most folks. But in terms of how we go through stuff with clients, it's actually we customize it based on where the client is at in their maturity cycle of kind of like optimization, like, you know, a business that's just launched the first public facing version of their product or something like we're going to have a more basic plan for them than someone who's like a series B SaaS company that's like, hey, we need to get to the next level. We already have market fit. We already have revenue and we're doing really well, but we need to like get over this next hump our strategy is going to be much different for them than it would be for the smaller company. So we kind of take it on a case-by-case basis, and we kind of, I think, in our heads have this understanding of what a normal engagement would look like. And then we kind of take stuff out of that. We add things to it based on the need and kind of go from there. But yeah, things are, are pretty free for our strategists to like decide what they think makes the most sense to do.
0: Got it. And so, you know, just checking out your site, I could see how you broke out your different expertise as you put it on the site between SEO, CRO, conversion rate optimization, analytics, and I think it was technical marketing or marketing tech, something like that. So are those four areas, are those kind of rolled in together in terms of like in the hours that you put in for clients, any of those things might be? implemented at any time? Or do you say, okay, client A, you've signed up for an SEO package, we're only going to be doing SEO work for you, CRO work for you, client B, like, how does that look?
1: Yeah, I'm really glad that you asked that question, because that's something that uh, in sharp contrast to places I've worked in the past, we've intentionally said, like, we're not going to do the siloing thing. Because I've definitely been in situations before where I was the one doing SEO for a specific business. And we get to the point where we say, hey, we have traffic that's 100% better than it was compared to last year. Like, you're getting twice as much organic traffic. We want to now understand, is that actually paying off for us? Like, is that turning into a marketing qualified lead? Or is that generating sales? But we hop into Google Analytics and nobody's actually touched that before. All you're tracking is basic page views and in that situation that i was in at that time it was like well they don't have an analytics contract with us they only have an seo contract with us we need to upsell them before we can like get into that but they didn't have uh, additional budget for that so it was just in endlessly frustrating so upbuild you know um that fourth item you mentioned technical marketing that's kind of how we view basically we view technical marketing as the umbrella that includes seo analytics cro because really, I mean, when you're when you have a, a site that's marketing an agency, like you need to kind of break things down into terms people can relate to is like people know what SEO is, people know what CRO is. But what we're really trying to say is like, we're going to be a technical marketing partner. And like, if you want us to come in and work on your SEO, we're going to do that. And we're going to do a great job. But if like you offhand mention a problem with your analytics... We can plug in and do that. Or, I mean, if you're doing something, like, in social media and we're not actually equipped to go and, like, manage your Facebook for you, but we have insights we can share that are related to technical marketing and, like, we can bring that perspective to the table, we're going to weigh in on that and be, hopefully, a valuable sounding board for, like, your social strategy or PR strategy and all that
0: stuff. Uh, So, I mean, I'm curious, like, when clients come to you initially, what is the need that they're expressing? Like, what brings them to your door Are they saying like, I want to be on page one of Google and that's kind of all they know about it or different clients have different needs or like they, are they thinking in terms of like CRO? Are they thinking like I have a pain when it comes to analytics? Do they identify those pains or do you identify them for them? Like how does that conversation start out?
1: Yeah, it's um, interesting in that we seldom get clients who come to us for a very acute need where they're like hey, there's this one keyword and we want to rank for that in Google. Uh, Or there's like this one thing we need fixed. Usually I found that when I have a lead who thinks along those lines, they typically don't want to spend a lot of money and they want results right now. So usually doesn't work out uh, for us. And I've I've kind of learned to avoid those and uh, let them go find somebody else. And hopefully I can match them up with somebody who's going to be a better fit for what they need. Because in terms of like who our target demographic is, for lack of a better word, it's not necessarily like specific companies or like, you know, we only work with B2B or you only work with e-commerce. We kind of work with companies that are going to get value out of having somebody around 40 hours a week who's like who knows this stuff like if they don't need that like it's total overkill and nobody's gonna walk away happy from that so our customers the people who end up coming to us are people who actually understand a lot about the complexity of seo and successful web analytics or conversion rate testing a b stuff like they know enough about that to know it's important they know kind of the gist of how it works and they also more often than not realize that they could probably learn a lot about it and probably do it if they had a hundred hours in a week, but they don't, they have a lot on their plate and they're like, they're the director of marketing for an organization. And like, that's not what they need to be spending their time on. Um, so they need to be like the actual player as opposed to the actual chess pieces that are moving back and forth. So like, we want them to use us as their chess piece to get them where they need to go. So usually they'll come to us and say like, we know our SEO sucks, for lack of a better description. And we need you to help us like completely overhaul it. We want to make sure we're capitalizing on every opportunity. Like they have a more strategic mindset about it, uh, as opposed to saying like, hey, we need this page to rank, or like our site is deindexed, or kind of some micro issue that we need to overcome, or like analytics. They're like, hey, we've had basic analytics set up on our site for the past five years. We really know that we could be collecting more data that we could actually take action on and like learn how to improve our website. But like, we need to know what to measure, we need to figure out how we actually collect that data. And then we want to have somebody who is going to help us interpret that and figure out what to do next.
0: Interesting. So take a look at your pricing and retainers. And, and I mean, not all agencies are public about price points or at least like starting price points and things, but but you guys are pretty transparent about it on your site. Uh, can you take us through that? Like I, I noticed, and obviously these prices are today, I'm sure things may change over time. We're, we're recording this in midway through 2017, but um, do all of your clients fall into your monthly retainer packages or do you do any like one-off projects?
1: Another good question. So most of our stuff does fall into that range of like between six and seven thousand a month, depending on the need. Sometimes we'll get a um, you know a company who has kind of had SEO as a priority that's kind of been on the back burner for like a couple of years. And they're like, okay, actually, finally, we need to like really invest in this, and they'll say like, hey, let's do ninety thousand a month, just like really hammer at it and i'll like put one person on that account and they'll have like one other they'll have two clients like this mega client and then like a regular client so we can get all this stuff done for them in a shorter amount of time so we kind of do that and that's uh of course that's like not the cheapest pricing in the world of course it's like that's a pretty considerable chunk of change but the way to kind of think about it is like you know if you're shopping around and you're googling like seo providers you're probably going to find sites on or find results on sites like upwork and whatever um you know even craigslist people selling seo services for like 500 bucks and like we'll do all this stuff for you and so that's like a highly commoditized version of seo strategy so if you're looking at our pricing from that perspective it sounds a little crazy but on the other side if you're thinking about it from the perspective as like We don't want to hire a director of optimization or it doesn't make sense for us to hire that person to pay them a hundred thousand dollars a year. Cause like that's easily what somebody is worth nowadays, especially if you go to like Portland, Oregon or Silicon Valley, like if you have that skill set, you have no trouble getting a job. You're in insanely high demand. So if you start thinking about like, okay, we could be paying that much money for a person full time. Who's probably going to end up in, like, you know, at least 20 hours of meetings if they're in house with us every week. So, like, so let's break that down. Um, when you look at it from that perspective, then for that price point, it actually seems to look a little more reasonable.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, and I do position my businesses in the same way, or I, at least I think about pricing in that way. Like, you could hire a single in house full time marketer, or you can outsource to a vendor like us or like your company for a fraction of that cost. And it's not just one person, it's a professional expert and a team supporting them with built in processes and systems and everything. So yeah, that's really cool.
1: Yeah. And I'll add also that we do offer what we call ad hoc projects. So you know, one time projects, and it's kind of a determination we make on a case by case basis. So Usually if somebody is going to come to us and they're like, hey, we just need somebody to tell us what keywords to target on our site. Can we pay you to do that one thing and then we'll be on our way? Usually we're probably going to refer them out to somebody else for that because it's something that we could do and could do really well. But at the same time, like we don't want, necessarily want to hook our reputation into like them being able to get results based on that thing alone. Because if you come in with the expectation that, like, hey, I'm going to get a bunch of keywords and that's what I need. but they have a ton of technical issues with their site, and they don't do anything with those keywords in terms of getting them on the page copy, on the page titles, used in their social descriptions, and all that stuff that's really complimentary and almost required for SEO success, we don't really wanna be involved in that equation because we wanna make sure, hey, if we're gonna put any skin in the game, we want to ensure that this has its best shot at being successful. So that said, like that's probably an example where we wouldn't do a one-time project, but an example where we would is like we have a client right now who we're working with to take data from their CRM system where they're managing leads and kind of assigning people lead status based on when they fill out a form. They're saying like, hey, this person is likely to close. This deal is probably worth like a million dollars to us. They want to be able to see that data side by side with their Google Analytics data. So we're actually doing it a one-time project for them to architect a custom solution to take that data from their CRM and inject it into Google Analytics via this cool tool that actually doesn't get talked about much. Uh, Google Analytics has something called the measurement protocol where anybody can build out basically it's called a data hit to send custom data into Google Analytics and actually merge it with known users in Google Analytics. So you could actually see side by side, hey, this user came to our site five times First time they came was from Facebook, from a paid Facebook ad, and they converted and became a highly qualified lead worth an estimated half a million dollars so that you can actually truly measure the ROI of where you're investing and say like, hey, Facebook is really valuable for us. Organic search is really valuable. Email marketing, maybe not so much for whatever reason, because that's kind of been referred to as the holy grail of uh, kind of web analysis for a long time. So like that's something that because we think we can make a difference there and because it's like honestly an exciting thing for us to work on we're like okay cool like sign us up for that that sounds great
0: cool so i definitely want to get into the tactical stuff in just a minute i guess before we leave that i'm still kind of interested i'm always interested in like the boring operational side of of things that are running companies like this so how do you set expectations with new clients? Uh I'm sure you get the question a lot when they're signing up or when they're in the sales process, you know, what can I expect in terms of expectations? Like what am I going to see after 3 months, after 6 months? How do you build realistic expectations for clients?
1: Yeah, it's really all about meeting clients where they are and kind of seeing like what uh you know, we start some uh kickoff calls just like tell us what hurts. Like <laughs> what what's keeping you up at night? What's like uh Like, what frustrates you when you're having to, like, talk about the success of your marketing program overall to your boss? So we kind of figure out what matters to them. And that seems like something that's so simple. It's like, well, duh. But, I mean, most, a lot of agencies don't take the time to do that. and Not that, like, they realize that's a thing and consciously decide not to do it. But it's like, hey, we should give them reports on keyword rankings every week. Or, like, let's give them a big report on, like, how traffic did and which landing pages got the most traffic. But if that's not necessarily that the client is going to get value from and be able to actually use to say, like, hey, look, I'm doing my job well, then none of that really matters. So it's really about figuring out what that specific person in their specific role needs to showcase their success and sometimes it's to showcase our success to be like hey i hired this seo vendor look how good they did so we figure out what that answer needs to be and then kind of tailor things to that but usually in general in terms of setting expectations in terms of like timeline to results still like in 2017 like we're seeing about three months from a kickoff to being able to see initial results like how do we think things are going to begin? uh, Are the tides starting to turn is kind of what I'm talking about. So, you know, first month with us or I think any SEO agency is a lot of discovery and strategy because you want to understand the lay of the land. You want to do a comprehensive audit on the site. And then I would say, you know, by the end of the first month or the beginning of the second, you're starting to actually be able to implement change to actually uh, say like, hey, we're gonna change stuff in your code base or we're gonna add content, we're gonna spin up these landing pages. And then, you know, maybe between 30 and 45 days for like search engines to not just pick up those pages, like crawling them and indexing, but actually assign proper weight to them in search engine results. And to actually start to see across the board, either a lift or, you know, heaven forbid, a, a decline in organic search traffic. So after that three month period, we'll say like, okay, we think we have an idea that like this was successful. We think it's going to continue getting more successful, but like let's move on to our next thing. So usually that's how we'll set the stage, and then also I mean you no know, clients I think justifiably will sometimes want like projections and like how much more traffic do you think we can get or how many more leads? And that's in my mind a very tricky and delicate conversation to have prior to engaging with a client because there's just so many unknowns. I, I found it like basically every single time I've tried to make projections before doing like an SEO audit or like even an analytics audit, I've always shot myself in the foot because like I, there's just so way too much that I don't know about how their site is set up or frankly, how it's going to be working with them. Because sometimes we'll say like, Hey, you know, we think we're going to be able to lift traffic for you 20% by the end of uh, the third month, year over year. And then like, it's going to compound to a 50% lift by the end of month six. But the thing we don't know is like, oh, actually, their developer is like four months behind on his task list and he's not going to be able to make any of these changes.
0: And even beyond like the surface level or even like the things that can be uncovered in a technical audit, you're also going into a client's business that may be operating in a market that you're not very familiar with. You don't know how that customer base responds to certain things. And yeah, it's just really, really difficult to predict or, or project. So, I mean, I guess on that question, like how do you work out like delivering on expectations and what happens when expectations aren't exactly met? I mean, I'm sure in this type of work, there are so many different signals that you can point to like organic traffic is up, but leads may not be up or leads may be up, but traffic's not up, but what's the quality of traffic and that all that stuff. So like, I guess just tactically, like how do you actually report on results? Like what does that actually look like? And how do the conversations work when you're three months in, six months in, and like it's either flat or the client is expecting more?
1: Yeah, so the way that we report on results is, you know, we don't need to get like super into the technical nitty gritty of it because that could take a whole nother hour. But like, you know, we want to look at Google Analytics and see, you know, what traffic is looking like from the channels uh, that we're optimizing against. Like notably organic, we also, we would want to know, How is that performing, not just compared to like the last month, but to like the last quarter and the last year? And then how is that performing relative to other channels as well? Because if we have just a decrease across the board in interest in this product that we're working on, then like actually maybe it's okay that we're holding flat. Maybe that's the best channel in terms of performance when we're looking at organic. So we'll look at that. We also want to be able to understand, you know, if we're not doing a cross integration between the CRM and Google Analytics, of course, we'll need like reports from whatever Pardot or Marketo or Eloqua to see what's the number of leads coming from organic and be able to speak to that. Because usually if you're talking about B2B, that's the most important number is like how many new names are we adding to our record database? So that's important. And then we also, I find that it's much more downside than upside to focus too much on rankings and say, like, okay, for this individual keyword, we're trying to get to position X. Because of personalization, differences in results across different locations, it's just, it's almost impossible to track. I find that, like, agonizing over those specific ranking positions can be almost meaningless. But we do like to look at visibility across the board. So if you use a tool like, I think, you know, SEM Rush has this, Moz probably has this as well, we take a look at our keyword set, so like our top 50 to 100 keywords that we're optimizing across the site for, put all of those into an uh, an ongoing ranking campaign report, and just measure aggregate visibility and say, like, are we trending upward in the right direction? And how does that look compared to the competition? And just make sure that that's going in the right direction. That gives, usually gives us a, a viewpoint that's far enough removed from an individual keyword to actually be able to say, OK, we are being successful even if we have keywords that are going up and down every couple days, just because that's the nature of the space.
0: And in terms of like driving results for clients and the strategies that you want to have implemented one way or another for client, are there factors, I'm sure there are, where it's like, okay, in order to truly complete this strategy, you the client like you have to take care of certain things or you have to hire out content or you, you have to be doing these activities while we're setting up this technical implementation like it won't work unless all these things are done um, do you have a process for like delegating tasks to your client to handle and how does that work out
1: yeah i mean that's one of the things that we focus on a lot is being very clear about what the action items are and who's responsible for things and even up front like right in our proposals we have a dedicated page it's like here's what we're assuming. Like, we're assuming that you have the resources to implement the stuff we're asking for in one to two weeks. We assume you have the resources to write content, to manage social. And, you know, we talk a lot about this prior to ever signing anything with a client. It's like, we're here to be a partner with you and we need your collaboration. It's totally understandable if you're in a situation where like you don't have time to answer a single email in a given week. But that's not going to work out. So we need to figure out if that's possible. And if you're if you're down for that to like, go in with us, then we can do some good stuff. But otherwise, like, it's just going to be too much. Like, unfortunately, we're not the one stop shop who can just like manage everything for you. You like you don't just give us the keys to the castle and like go away. And then we get you to where you need to go completely on our own. So it's just about again, I mean, all this is coming back to like communication and like, being a human communicating with another human, being like, Hey, this is like upfront how things are, and let's see how we can navigate this in a way that makes sense. And if it's not, that's not even an issue either. Like, if we're upfront about it, and we identify these things early, and we could be like, Hey, this isn't going to work.
0: Cool. All right. So, let's get into some of the tactical stuff. I'm sure people are uh, <laughs> waiting for that. I'm, I guess I'm wondering. Off the bat, maybe this is just an overly broad question, but I'm sure you hear it a lot. We're here in the middle of 2017. Obviously, SEO is not a new thing by, by any stretch of the imagination anymore. But what is new when it comes to optimizing a site for organic search rankings now? Like Every time I think about SEO for my own businesses, I feel like I'm behind the eight ball. Like I, I missed whatever news happened in the last year or two. So like, where are we at now? Like, What's kind of on your mind this year?
1: Anyone who's been adjacent to the SEO space is probably already sick of hearing like the mobile first stuff, but like that is the next frontier. So for those who aren't super familiar with the space, Google has announced that they're going to move toward a mobile first index, which means what they're doing is crawling the web and discovering content and evaluating pages based on the mobile experience first. They're going to start using desktop as a fallback. So if the mobile experience just falls apart and is like completely useless, they'll look at your desktop site. But otherwise, they want to find you and rank you based on your experience on mobile. And that seems kind of like a big shift, or maybe, depending on who you are, maybe that doesn't seem like a big shift at all, but it is.
0: It definitely is. I mean, when you think about it, from a just like a web design perspective, that was like the obvious thing a couple of years back. Like every site has to be mobile optimized, mobile apps are becoming more widespread. But like if you think about it today, obviously, you and I, folks listening to this podcast, I'm sure we're all super mobile active. But like my parents in their 60s are visiting websites on their mobile devices even more than their computers. So like I could totally see how a mobile first strategy when it comes to optimization and in the eyes of Google is becoming kind of obvious today.
1: Yeah. And this is by no means a new perspective for Google. Uh, Everything that we've seen from them really points to the next step uh, and kind of where we're going in terms of search engine optimization and how Google operates. So like think about something that I was speaking about, you know, six years ago, like semantic markup, like putting little bits of HTML code in your web page to call out the most important parts of your content. So like highlight the article body of your content uh, or highlight who is the author of that content or when the publish date was or on products, like how many uh, stars does this product get on average and how many ratings all that stuff, actually specifying that in completely unambiguous terms for Google to be able to understand and access and break apart and then use however they want. So there's that. There's mobile first. There's uh, accelerated mobile pages. So the accelerated mobile pages project from Google in collaboration with publishers is designed to Deliver lightning fast content to people so they can just read content from publishers, consume it as quickly as possible with minimal overhead in terms of bandwidth.
0: I've read a bit about this, but I'm a l- still a, a little unclear about it. So, accelerated mobile experiences from Google is that something that the developer of the site or the owner would implement, or is it something that Google is putting out there on certain sites? How does that work?
1: Yeah, I love that question because it's both. So, accelerated mobile pages is, is almost, you could think of it as a flavor of HTML. So it's a very strict HTML standard to say, build your site in this way, that's going to eliminate all of the common problems that cause sites to be slow and to be a bad experience on mobile specifically. So like JavaScript that, you know, provides a lot of like interactivity and like flashiness to your website, but that also slows down page load time, like that's just not allowed anymore. And things like, you know, if a video player is embedded or an ad for that matter is embedded on your site, it needs to have predefined dimensions so that, you know, Google is acknowledging that like that stuff gets loaded after the fact from a third party source. So like it wants to be able to build out the whole page and just leave a placeholder for that so that it can just load in whatever it wants. Like it's not going to delay your ability to access the content. So a lot of stuff like that, So as a webmaster, you would have to build out AMP versions of your pages. And one of the common misconceptions is that you actually need to build additional pages. You don't necessarily need to. You can actually make a site that is just 100% in AMP format. So if you actually go to the ampproject.org, which is Google's official site for the project, that whole site looks fine on desktop, looks like any other good HTML-based site today. The whole thing is AMP-compliant, So basically on desktop or mobile, it's going to be a fantastic experience. And really what the project signifies to me is Google kind of saying like, hey, y'all had your chance to make good sites on mobile. You kind of dropped the ball. So we're going to like force your hand and say like, this is not, not only something we're saying like, hey, this is a great new product and a great new thing that we're rolling out, but this is going to be a requirement to be in like our top stories. So if you look in on mobile, you'll see that top stories. It's 100% AMP content that's delivered instantaneously. And the cool thing about it is, so you have AMP on your site, but once it's discovered, Google actually caches that and starts to deliver your content via Google's content delivery network, their CDN to users. So if you're actually browsing those top stories and you are paying attention to the URL in your browser bar on like mobile Chrome or something, you're going to see that that's content from cdn.antproject.org, not from the actual websites themselves. So Google's one, is saying, you guys don't know how to code, so we're going to make you code cleanly. And they're also saying, your servers suck, so we're going to deliver your content from our servers. And really, like all the stuff that I've been talking about, Semantic, Markup, Mobile First, AMP Project, it all validates this kind of theory that a lot of people have. It's like, if Google could just get your raw content and then never talk to you again like they would do that they would have every site in their search result be a google shell that delivers your content because they can optimize the heck out of that and you know really i mean their goal is to spread connectivity throughout the world so people can view more ads and they can only do that by having a really awesome experience so they're trying to get people to uh train us all to follow the carrot on the stick
0: that makes sense i mean i'm sure this is kind of like a rabbit hole that we could waste a ton of time in but if i'm understanding this correctly like like amp content implementing that on your site that goes beyond just having like a responsive mobile layout that's actually a separate version that you need to kind of serve up is that something that that a web developer would create or are there tools now that you can just like take your site and run it through this thing and now you have like an amp version of it like how do you do that
1: there's very valid arguments from web developers kind of as a, a backlash against amp that like and i think there's there's weight to this like it is a content specific thing like so if your site publishes content you're a pretty good candidate for amp but like anything other than that like if your site is like really focused on interactivity or you're selling products or it's like an informational site for like a SaaS product amp might not be the best fit for you so by extension, it's safe to assume, uh, and this is actually correct WordPress has a great plugin to make all of your blog post pages AMP pages. So they'll actually append slash AMP on the end of any given blog post, and this plugin will generate an, app, an AMP version at that URL. So it's great for content. So, like, WordPress has built in stuff. Drupal I think has one that I've heard is questionably okay. Like sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. But most of the major platforms that aren't WordPress either don't have any kind of AMP plugin or they have one that like, can be hit or miss.
0: All right. So how do you go into a, a website? I guess typically like a client's website, they come in, like how do you start off an audit? What are the first things that you tend to look for? I'm sure it, it varies by different industries, different types of businesses and things, but what are the main things that come to mind in terms of like, you're going to look at these factors first?
1: A couple of the things that we look at first and foremost, you know, we have like a list of probably 200 things we like like to look at, but they can all be broken down into little categories uh, that kind of makes sense thematically with each other. So, like, accessibility is a big one. And especially now, as you know, it's funny because we're talking about AMP, which basically means accessibility is amazing and super, super easy, but that's by no means the standard throughout the web. The standard is becoming like, you know, JavaScript frameworks, more complicated websites, a lot of kind of stuff that's uh, above and beyond what like core HTML provides. So, that's something we have to look at more than ever now and ensure that. Google, as an application that is crawling around the web, is able to access the content in the same way that a browser can render it. Because you know, there's a lot of JavaScript stuff happening that gets processed and rendered, changes the HTML within the browser. We need to make sure like a search bot can do that same thing and there's nothing that's getting lost along the way. And that is not always the case, that you know, there's a complete parity between the two experiences. Usually we see stuff falling out. And then, of course, there's like basic things that we want to check, too, is like, you know, sometimes you get a robots.txt file, which exists on the root of your domain and tells a search engine or other application like whether or not you want them to access your site. Sometimes that gets pushed out from a staging environment where you actually don't want a search engine to access that. Sometimes that gets copied wholesale by accident. And then Google sees that on your live site and it's like, oh, okay, they're asking us not to like crawl this site. That's fine, we'll go and do something else. So we check those basic things as well.
0: Cool. So I guess on that same question, like three types of businesses that might come across your radar, what would be like the main focus point that you would suggest uh, each of these make? So I'm thinking of like a SaaS company, let's say like a company like Slack for their website, like marketing their SaaS product. They've got a couple of different pages that like outline different features and, and that sort of stuff. Um, an e-commerce company that might have hundreds or thousands of products that they're selling in in this online store. And then like a content site, like, I don't know, like newyorktimes.com, something like that. I mean, those are three very different online business models. Like how would you think about like their low hanging fruit top priority for each of those?
1: The top priority for, um, like a B2B SaaS product, like Slack, for example, like I'm sure every, every company out there wishes they were Slack
0: aside from like, go get covered on all the hot podcasts and everything like,
1: (laughs) yeah, yeah. Be famous. (laughs) But, uh, actually, you know, with that in mind, one thing that you really do need to be cognizant of, especially, um, now with like, you know, we're kind of running out of unique words, uh, and domain names for that matter. So like with a company like that, who's like, your product isn't necessarily like a keyword string of all your features, like real-time chat interface is like not the name, it's, it's Slack. So you wanna make sure that, especially in the early stages, like rank for your name. That's something that you can easily forget. It's like, oh yeah, we actually need to work on that. Like we can't just assume we're gonna show up, like even up build, like there's, uh, that's a word in the dictionary that shows up. And we actually had to do a lot of groundwork to like show up number one in Google for our own name worth it in my mind, but uh, still something that had to be done. And, you know, now we have clients that we work with that have companies which have the same name in completely different spaces. Like, you know, we have a company that does drone technology, and they're trying to show up above a company that does like education support stuff, like they provide uh, academic help.
0: It's like the same brand name. Though.
1: Yeah. So we have to kind of figure out that stuff and ensure that like, okay, that's Probably something that we should be investing in I would argue is probably one of the most important things because that's like The person that you're on the cusp of winning over.
0: Yeah I mean if they're googling your name They're in talks with you or they're thinking about you.
1: Yeah, or like yeah They've seen you through other channels like they've seen your paid ads They've uh, visited your Facebook page and they're like, okay Let me find out that last thing before I actually talk to them about giving them my money So that's important uh, another thing with b2b software companies is is ensuring that you understand what your customers or prospective customers are searching for. Like, what is their need? What is their pain point? What are they trying to solve by using your tool? And ensuring that your site actually speaks to that. It is surprisingly common for a brand to, like, use a lot of flowery language and, like, new cutting-edge terminology that, like, they came up with in a board meeting that nobody knows to search for
0: don't be clever
1: yeah yeah there's cleverness you know is kind of nice sometimes but yeah like to hinge your marketing strategy on like your clever new marketing term is not necessarily a good decision so like you know you got to figure out okay what are we trying to appear in google for ensure that we have you know a feature page that adequately discusses that topic because really even when you talk about what many would view as an old school seo tactic like you know optimizing your page title or your meta description total seo 101 stuff but if at the end of the day that's not supported by your actual page content and the real language you're using on your site that hardly counts for anything Um, Like there needs to be this harmony between your actual content that you're using to market to your users and these SEO assets that are really, you got to view that as
0: icing on the cake. Even going more old school than that and just talking to your customers. I still see today too many businesses, they think something like SEO or ads or funnels or webinars. It's like their solution to not have to go talk to customers. But talking to them, getting into conversations, that's how you figure out what's the language that they're using? What What are the words that they're using to describe this problem? And then how can you literally take those phrases out of their mouth and put them into a headline on your page?
1: Yeah. And I would say that's especially important with newer startups that are kind of coming online is with traditional SEO research tools that we have, like, yeah, we can look at search volume. We can see like what keyword opportunity is between a couple different choices for keywords. But if you're coming into a new space and solving a problem that there never has been a solution to before, Google's not going to have search data on that for you, and neither are any of the third-party tools. So, like, absolutely, talk to your users and figure out how they're searching for it. Because even if it's less than ten searches a month, you want to show up for those ten people. So figure that out, and then you, know, as the space evolves, of course, revisit it every six months or something, and ensure that you're staying on target. But at the beginning, you actually might need to talk to people. Revolutionary concepts, right?
0: Uh, I've been kind of curious about this the last, like I don't know, two years or so. Is like all these changes in, I guess, privacy, but also personalization through Google and when people are logged into Google versus when they're not. Like, what's changed on that front? Like, I I know that there's like you know Google's not provided, and maybe this is like old news to folks, but I know that there are lots of people like myself who are still kind of confused by it. Like, when I look at Google Analytics, like, how do I know which traffic data is real or accurate? And like, what's Google not kind of hiding from me at this point?
1: Yeah, it is. It is. It's it's tricky. So I teach an analytics class at Portland State University. And the point I have to make to students over and over again is analytics can be a extremely useful tool. It's the best solution we have, but it is it's an imperfect solution. So, you know, even with like changes that are related to SEO specifically, it's like, yeah, like not provided was what, 2011 or something? It was crazy uh, how long this was. Makes me feel old. But, um, you know, you used to be able to see what keyword brought somebody to your site in Google Analytics and say, like, okay, I got, like, a thousand visitors for this one specific keyword. Like, here's what their average value was on the site. Here's, like, how many goals they completed. So you can see, like, oh, this was an actual worthwhile keyword for me to invest in. That was really cool. Then Google made a shift to say, actually, we're not going to share that in the name of privacy So you started getting this kind of pseudo keyword that would show up in your reports called not provided. I think when they first rolled it out, Google was like, this is going to affect like maybe a single digit percentage of all your organic traffic. So don't worry about it. Of course, it's like pretty soon it got to 10%, then it was 20.
0: But if I'm, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is not provided, that represents people who are currently logged into Google. Is that correct?
1: It used to be. Now it's pretty much universal. So they made an announcement years later that was like, hey, actually, For anyone who goes to Google via secure, which is HTTPS, we're going to start hiding that keyword data. And now that's universal. So pretty much if you go to those same reports that, you know, 10 years ago used to be really valuable, all you're going to be seeing is stuff from uh, Bing, Yahoo, not DuckDuckGo. They don't pass that information because they're the anonymous uh, search engine. So uh, you'll see a limited data set, which is not super valuable. The one kind of consolation that we keep getting uh, as an industry is uh, Google Search Console keeps kind of leveling up their reports and they give you some good value, but still not as, as awesome as it used to be within Google Analytics to be able to see the full path of a user's journey from keyword initial visit to actual like goal completion. But we do, we can see some good insight with Google Search Console.
0: So through Search Console, we can still see the actual keywords that people are searching for and ending up on our site. That's still an available data point, basically. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just, you got to go through a couple more hoops to get to it.
1: Yeah, a couple more hoops, and it kind of uh, cuts you off at the point where they get to your site. So, like, you see that they had an impression for a keyword. You can see how many people clicked on it based on how many people were sown an impression in organic search. And then you can see how many people actually ended up on your website, but that's all. So you can't see, like, how many people of those completed a goal or, like, took some action that you wanted to like, fill out a form or something. So you kind of get the the journey is cut in
0: half, right? So I've got a couple like rapid fire questions. And I got asked these questions a lot. Should I set up my blog on my main domain or on a subdomain, like a blog.mycompany.com or mycompany.com slash blog. Any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I have pretty strong opinions on that, actually. So I believe that unquestionably, you should have it at your slash blog. So we call that in the industry, of course, a subdirectory. As opposed to a subdomain, so blog.yoursite.com. Think of it this way, though, and this is how Google refers to it commonly in their older patents. When they're talking about indexing the web and assigning authority to sites, they'll actually say in the specific examples, this site.whatever other site.com, they'll refer to that as a website and refer to some other thing as another website that's on the same domain. So if you think of Blogspot or Blogger, I could go there, set up a blog, and say, like, Mike knows SEO better than Google.blogspot.com. I, I think of it this way. Like, Google, as the owner of that site, doesn't want to vouch for whatever I'm saying. There has to be a disconnect because there's so many products out there that allow you to spin up a site in a subdirectory that doesn't necessarily represent the opinions and views of that main domain. So there has to be a disconnect there. So what you are effectively doing is, like, yeah... Google's not dumb. Like, they understand there is a relationship between those two, but they are still pretty separate. So if you have, like, a breakaway success story blog that's on a blog subdomain, blog.yoursite.com, its success is going to minimally impact your site compared to if you were using yoursite.com slash blog, because all of that is, you know, directly under the umbrella of your site And really, theoretically, kind of look at it from a conceptual standpoint of your business. That's part of your business.
0: It's like all the link juice, all the social media incoming traffic and everything that's coming to your domain, not this maybe, maybe not related subdomain, basically.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And all this stuff, like anything in SEO, it's like none of it is as cut and dry as we like to make it sound sometimes. Like there's legitimate obstacles sometimes for technological reasons that it's hard to implement a blog and a subdomain uh, or a subdirectory as opposed to a subdomain. Like some sites that need to be very secure. Like if you talk to a developer that's like really into web security and uh, you know ensuring that the site is impenetrable, They're probably gonna freak out if you suggest putting WordPress in the main directory. They're gonna be like, oh, WordPress is like a, a hive of getting hacked, like we don't want that anywhere near our secure database. So sometimes like that's just not an option. Sometimes there's workarounds though, like to kind of port things over and make it appear as if it's in that blog subdirectory.
0: And I've seen some uh, like SaaS companies and things like they've kind of like develop their SaaS application, like the software on their main domain, which I never really understood that. It's like, you're kind of hampering your ability to do what you need to do on your marketing site. So like, I would just make the choice to put your app on like app.yourcompany.com and just put all of your marketing on com slash whatever.
1: Yeah, I think that's a very clear delineation. Yeah,
0: cool. So another question I hear all the time. And I'm kind of more focused on like content marketing here but So publishing on Medium versus publishing your content on your own blog. And I mean, I know that Medium, you can map a domain to it, but I guess you kind of have to map like a subdomain to Medium because you're not going to map your main domain to Medium. My thought on it is usually, you know, publish your stuff, your content on your own domain so that you kind of own it, but then republish it, syndicate it over to Medium a few weeks later. And then the question, of course, after that is like, well, what about duplicate content issues? So like, any, any thought on that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, I think that's probably the exact right approach is view Medium as a distribution channel and a way to amplify your message. But you always want to own your core content because, you know, Medium, like you're effectively renting space from them. And so like the success of their site belongs to them, not you. So if your content is only there, they have every right to take it away they don't owe you anything so you definitely want to own your own digital copies of your stuff and i think that's a valid way to approach it is you know give your content on your site a fair shot and then after a week put it up on medium and see how it does um i haven't tested this much at all but i would assume that at this point google is well aware of what medium is and how people are using it so i can't imagine that like they would see you know they're They're probably all the time seeing a blog post on somebody's site, seeing that same content on Medium, seeing that same content on LinkedIn, all this stuff gets posted everywhere now.
0: Yeah, or even even just like syndicating content. It's, it's stuff on like Huffington Post is syndicated from some other original source, you know. So it's like, I guess with duplicate content, I mean, my almost layman assumption of this is that Google knows the timestamp of when something was published in all likelihood. So they know when the original, like which one came first. And then I think if one is linking to the other, say like the canonical version of this is here, that's another signal that kind of Google looks for. Is that right? or?
1: Yeah. So the canonical version uh, using the canonical tag that Google rolled out for this express purpose is a great uh, way to handle it. There are ways that you can get that set up on Medium. It's a little complex, and I haven't done it. But uh, Google does have a tag that's for that express purpose. But, you know, if nothing else, they know the date that they first discovered a URL, So they'll be able to say like, hey, we discovered the content here on this date. We discovered the content here a week later. And they can follow that breadcrumb within their own database back to the original source. So I don't think it's too much to be worried about, but it's definitely an interesting topic to continue discussing.
0: Google is probably way more scarier than this, like how much they actually know and can discover machine learning and all that crazy stuff. So uh, I guess just one final one, uh, then we'll wrap up here. In terms of choosing a platform, a CMS WordPress. I guess this relates to content, but even just a you know like a blog site, but even versus like a, just a content marketing site. WordPress versus Squarespace versus Drupal versus like rolling your own. My go-to has always been WordPress, and you know having access to the plugins and things and knowing how to work with WordPress. Like any kind of preferences there, recommendations?
1: Yeah. So I have a strong preference for WordPress. One being one of my preferences, but. What I would say it boils down to is if you're choosing a content management system for your site, if at all possible, I would recommend strongly considering an open source platform. And I say that not necessarily because I'm saying like, hey, everybody should be into the cause of open source and believe in like the four freedoms that you get. Like you can reuse the software for any purpose. You could dissect it and make modifications like all that stuff is great from a programming perspective. But what open source really means for you as a marketer in your day-to-day is that as your site takes off and your business evolves and you know two years down the line whoever helped you with your site initially isn't working out like people are going to go their own way whether it's intentional or uh, something that's like a cause you need to get rid of them
0: (laughs) go where the developer pool is basically
1: exactly and an open source product has such a lower barrier to entry compared to something that is basically gated so if you're talking about like you know um yeah, you know, there's certain parts of demand where that are open source now, but like, you know, a lot of .NET sites are proprietary systems where no one can just go in and say like, hey, I'm going like to download the code base and like tear it apart and learn everything there is about it without taking a bunch of risk and having to like buy a license. So for WordPress and even for Google Analytics, which is an open source, that's still the analytics platform that I recommend because it's free meaning that anybody and their their six cousins can go and just get it for free and play with it and learn it. So you have exponentially more people who are quickly becoming experts in it. And this is like, it really bums me out when I hear a client who's like, hey, we're on some weird proprietary CMS like we got on, we can't find a new developer. And like, we can't edit our content right now. We haven't been able to for six months. It's like, are you kidding? Um, But, you know, they're not kidding. Uh, and, And it's totally like I can't fault anybody for it. Companies develop proprietary software because the claim is that it's better. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And it's easy to kind of think there's going to be a benefit to being on something that's super customized and awesome compared to like the thing anybody can get for free. There's like an allure to it.
0: Right. There's that lock-in, that the risk of being locked into something, and then just the cost of changing to something when you're not bleeding for that need. It's like, oh, you just put it off year after year, and then all of a sudden you're stuck with a site that has all these problems that have been kind of like boiling under the surface, Yeah. So within WordPress, I mean, there are so many WordPress users out there. Like any quick off the top of your head, like always install these plugins, and I and I hate that whole approach. Like you have to have these ten plugins for your, every WordPress site. I, I know that's certainly not the case, but when it comes to optimization, SEO, like is there like a go-to couple of plugins that you always use?
1: Yeah. I was actually trying to make that list a couple months ago. I was like, let me pull out the list of like the top plugins I use because I actually had a friend who was uh, asking like what he should use because he was starting a new side project. And he was like, hey, what plugin should I have? And like the list was embarrassingly small. You know, with WordPress, like you actually don't need a lot unless you're like adding specific features that you need. So on the SEO side, probably the one plugin that you need is uh, the Yoast SEO plugin. I know certain people in the industry that like hate it and they think it's garbage, but I think for most cases where I'm doing optimization or my team is doing optimization, it covers everything we need and more. And it's free, like there's add-ons that if you're like publishing news stories or doing a lot of video content, uh, you can buy additional stuff to like kind of level up its functionality at its core in the free product. It's
0: pretty dang solid. I mean, that one's becoming like WordPress itself where like more clients have it installed than don't have it installed. So it's like, it makes it easier for us when they already have it installed too, yeah. Yeah. Cool, well, uh, yeah, I mean, we really, you know, covered a lot of ground here. Uh, I really appreciate all your insights. It was great to meet you on this, this is awesome, Mike.
1: It was a blast, thank you for having me.
0: So your site, your company is at upbuild.io. Anywhere else people kind of connect with you? You can uh, check me out on
1: Twitter if you want. Uh, It's Mike underscore Arneson. And then I also blog uh, less frequently than I want to uh, at MikeArneson.com. So you can check me out there uh, if you're interested in
0: kind of what I'm up to personally. Very cool. We'll get those linked up in the show notes. Well, yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Brian. Hey, before you go, did you know that in my newsletter list, there's a select group of folks who receive what I call my Friday notes emails. That's where I share some behind the scenes updates about the businesses that I'm working on in real time, some personal updates and some tips. They're kind of a change of pace from the other stuff that I usually send out. And so my longtime subscribers really enjoy these emails. And I get a lot of feedback on them, but if you're not getting them yet, you can actually get my next one by going to castjamcom slash Friday notes. That's Friday dash notes. I'll connect with you soon. Thanks for tuning in today.